T.F. Torrance was a Scottish pastor and theologian. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking for some good, deep theology to read, I would highly recommend T.F. Torrance. Uh, but one of his first ministry positions uh, is he was a, a, served as a military chaplain in World War II, I believe for the Scots Army. And he often told a story in his writings about a time when he came across a 20-year-old soldier dying on a battlefield. And Torrance knelt over the boy, put his hands on his shoulders, and prepared to give the boy his last rites. And he, the way he retells the story, the soldier, this boy, looks up into his eyes and with his dying breath asked T.F. Torrance this question. He said, Padre, Father, is God really like Jesus. And Torrance thought that was the most honest, most profound theological question that anyone ever asked him. And he replied to the boy, he said, yes. Yes, he is. God is really like Jesus. Is God really like Jesus? You know, we've been spending a lot of time the last several months talking about what God is like. We did a study on the attributes of God, and we said he's holy, and he's eternal, and he's love, and he's jealous, and he's knowable, and no doubt all of these things are important attributes of God, and they are well worth our study. But the question I think that we all really, really want to know in the deepest part of our hearts is, is God really, is he really like Jesus? You see, you and I both know, we all know that when crises come into our lives, and For pretty much all of us, crises have come into our lives this year. But we know that when crises come into our lives and they test our faith, our vision of God in the midst midst of crises can become very blurry. And we start to wonder if God is distant from us or we start to wonder if God is angry with us. But if God really is like Jesus, then we can look to the life of Jesus and we will always know that God is neither distant nor angry with us, but he is always near and he is always sympathetic. And I don't know, but as all of the difficulties of this year have happened, one after the other this year, I know that if you're anything like me, your faith has been tested this year. My faith has. And I know that in many, I know that in my moments of greatest fear and doubt this year, What I've really most, if you could just boil it down to its most simplest thing, what I most wanted to be assured of in my fears and in my doubts is that God really is like Jesus. And I do believe he is. Colossians 1 verse 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint or representation of of his nature. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And today we're beginning a new study on the Gospel of John. And the reason we're doing this is because if we want to know what God is like, we ought to look at Jesus. And if you want to know what Jesus is like, there's nowhere better than the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is a biography of Jesus written by one of his closest friends, John the Apostle. And we're going to start today in chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to work our way through the entirety of John's gospel, verse by verse. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it may take a while. It may take all of 2021. 
But I really do. I believe that as we enter into a new year, as we sort of pick up the pieces from all the brokenness of 2020, what we need, what our souls need more than anything is a vision of who Jesus is. And so we're going to look at the Gospel of John this week and in the many, many weeks to come because I believe in the midst of all the uncertainty and transition and fear that we are experiencing, I can't think of any better way for us to spend our Sundays together looking at than Jesus in the Gospel of John to see what he's really like. And as we see what he's really like, we will know what God is really like. And I think that can give us some hope and some much-needed resilience in the coming year. So the question is, is God really like Jesus? Yes, he is. And let's read God, John's Gospel to find out what God is really like. So let's begin Chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, you hear that read, and you think, wow. That's so beautiful, it's so poetic, but what does it mean? <laughs> like, what is all this about the word? And why is it capitalized? It's like, a, you know, it's like a proper noun. What's going on? Well, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And as you probably know, ancient Greece is known for its philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, Philo, Socrates, or as Bill and Ted in the Excellent Adventure call him, Socrates. One of the most important terms used by the ancient Greek philosophers was logos. So when Aristotle and Plato were sort of debating, they often used the term logos, and they spoke of the logos as the organizing principle that holds all of the universe together. So, you know, where other cultures and other people may have said the divine or the force or God, the ancient Greek philosophers, when they spoke of who made this and where did this all come from, they spoke of the Logos. This was their understanding of the word God. And the term Logos is translated in our English translations of the Bible as the word. And so John 1.1 opens up like this, in the beginning. Now that's referencing something else that should be well known. And this would have been well known to the Jewish people reading this book, the Hebrew people, because where does in the beginning come from? That is a direct echo to Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John opens up, in the beginning was the Logos. John here is speaking of Jesus, and in one short little phrase, and in one short little paragraph in these first five verses, John takes a well-known Jewish phrase that is connected with God in the beginning, and he takes a well-known Greek phrase that is connected with the Greek understanding of God, Logos, he puts them both together and says, it's all about Jesus, Always has been, always was. It is about Jesus. John is saying, hey, look, he, get, he tells us right off the bat, he says, hey, look, this book that I'm writing to you, the Gospel of John, it is about the one who has existed from all of eternity. He created all things, and in him all things hold together. And John will say, I'm talking about Jesus. And so imagine if that young soldier on the battlefield were to ask, not T.F. Torrance, but if he were to ask the Apostle John, is God really like Jesus? John would reply, yes, of course he is. 
Because Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is God. And so we're just going to break this passage down today. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. How many of you want to live? You know? (laughs) How many of you want to experience life to the fullest? Life as it was meant to be lived. This is what we want. This is what we're searching for is life. Abundant life, full life. We're ex- we want to experience life fully. Now, I had a track and cross-country coach in college. And when we would go, I'm thinking particularly of cross-country races. If you're familiar with cross-country, you know, you run a, a 10K around a golf course usually or in the woods somewhere. And my cross- college cross-country coach, he would stand somewhere usually late in the race or somewhere where the course was really difficult, maybe at the, in the middle of a, of a really difficult hill or something. And he would, pick, he, would, he would pick that point in the race because he knew that is where the race would be most painful for us as athletes. And, and if you've ever done a marathon or if you ever run a 5K or anything, you know that when your body starts to hurt, all sorts of things run through your mind. Maria, you know what I'm talking about. All sorts of things run through your mind. You're tempted to slow down. You're tempted to, to let off the gas. You're tempted. And you start, all you can think of is the pain that you're experiencing. And if you're not careful, you will dwell on the pain and you'll lose sight of the reason you entered the race in the first place, which was to push through the pain and run the best possible time you can run. And so my coach, he would stand late in the race at this moment where we were tempted as athletes to dwell on our pain, and he would look us right in the eye. He was a screamer, and he would look me right in the eyes, and he would say, Will, or he actually wouldn't say Will, he would say, McGee, you're surviving. You're not racing, and you came here not to survive but to race. And many of us today, I believe, In the midst of 2020, the race that we're running is painful. 2020, it's felt like we're running on a cross-country course in the mud uphill, in the rain and in the snow, you know, all of that. We're running a painful race this year, and it's tempted for us to dwell on the struggle. And many of us are merely surviving, and we're not living. And living is what we were created to do. But Jesus came into the world not so that we could survive. He came so that we could have life and have it to the abundance. John says that life is found in Jesus. In him is life. This is a theme that will be all throughout the Gospel of John as we're going to see over the next several months. Jesus himself will go on to say in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. In chapter 14, he will say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. In chapter 10, he will say, I came so that you may have life and have it abundantly. In chapter 3 and in chapter 10, he'll he'll say, I came to give you eternal life that you may never perish. Jesus is and Jesus gives life. John says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. Life and light. We're about to sing a little bit later today. We're going to sing an old famous Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. There's that line, life and light to all he brings. And light is another theme that is common all throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus is the light. In John 8 and 9, Jesus will say, I am the light of the world. In John 12, 46, Jesus will say, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
And he continues, and I love this verse. This is one to memorize in Christmas season, Advent season. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is life. Jesus is light. Now, it's verse 5 that I want us to spend the rest of our time together reflecting on. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. This is a core theme of Advent season. You know, Christmas, we often think that Christmas, it's Christmas season. In, in the church calendar and in the Christian tradition, Christmas is one day. Advent is a season. Advent is the season where we reflect on, we, it's where we reflect on our waiting for God to come and make good on his promises. And when you think of the Advent season, a core theme is that in the midst of God's people waiting in darkness, God will shine a light of hope. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, a famous Advent passage, says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And, you know, as we think about the nativity story, the Christmas story, you know, my kids have the Fisher-Price, you know, nativity scene, and it's been replaced, you know, baby Jesus has been replaced with Lightning McQueen a few times, and, you know, we got, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog, and we've got all these, you know, it becomes like this big mission, and it's fun, and it's a toy, and it's the, it, it, but we often, in our sort of hallmarky sort of uh, refabrication of the nativity story, we make it into a light, fluffy, sentimental story, when in reality, this was a dark time for the people of God. They had spent, the people of God had spent years, centuries in exile, waiting for a deliverer, a king, a savior, a messiah to save them. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, you know that you, you kind of read through the Old Testament, you get to the prophets, and it just kind of ends on this note of frustration. Like the people of God, they're wondering how long they're going to be exiled, how long that they must wait for a deliverer, a messiah to come and make things right. And then the Old Testament ends, and history tells us there's 400 years of nothing, of silence, until the New Testament is written. And when the Old Testament ends and the, uh, and the New Testament begins, we find out that in those 400 years, the people of God are now suffering under a new, uh, a, a new oppressor, and it's Rome now. They're suffering under the heavy hand of Rome, and they're wondering now, they're going, who's going to save us from Rome? Who's going to give us life? Who's going to shine a light in our darkness? This is what the people of God were waiting for on Christmas Day. They were saying, who is going to shine a light into the darkness of our oppression. And even, and just to make it a little more specific, think about Mary and Joseph. Man, we really make that, we sentimentalize them, don't we? But the fact is that uh, there was a lot of controversy surrounding Mary. We know that she was born, that she was, uh, that Jesus was conceived by a virgin. But in a small town, conservative, patriarchal society, that's not what all the people around her thought. And so Mary was seen as unclean. She was cast aside. She was seen as, as she was seen at, you know, whatever, she was, she was marginalized. And Joseph, he didn't know what to think, but God gave him a vision. He stuck with Mary. And the Bible tells us that they were very poor. They couldn't even afford a sacrifice when Jesus was born. All they could give was a pigeon. And we live in New York. We know how common pigeons are. If that's all you can get, you know, it meant they were very poor. And when they got to Bethlehem, they couldn't find a place to stay. No one would welcome this poor couple into their home. They, they were marginalized, they were cast aside, and this was, that had to be crushing for Mary. 
all the torment she had experienced as she carried this child to term. Now comes the night where he's going to be delivered, and she's delivering this child in the cold outside, surrounded by animals. But this child was born, and light broke into the world. That child, Jesus, would bring joy to his parents, and he would deliver his people from sin. And he would offer a new way of living, a new way of life for us. And in the midst of darkness, light broke through and a Savior was born. Now, Fleming Rutledge is a theologian. She actually lives here in New York. And she once wrote about a Christmas card that she received. And she said on the front of the Christmas card, it was bright red and green. It was very Christmassy. And it quoted the words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 78, where it said, on the, front of the, on the front flap, it said, from on high, our God will bring the rising sun. And you're like, oh, what a beautiful Christmas card. This is so like, oh, cozy. I should just, you know, get my wassail and sit by the fire and, and enjoy my Christmas card. She said, but then you open it up. And on the inside, there was a black and white photograph of a poverty-stricken child in a developing country. And it finished the verse from the front flap. From on high, our God will bring the rising sun to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And Fleming Rutledge said that was the best Christmas card she's ever received. She said, because it demonstrates the hope of Christmas better than any of the cheesy Hallmark Christmas cards. Uh, The light shines in darkness and darkness has not overcome it. And I know that for every single one of you, this has been a dark year. The pandemic has darkened our lives. Political conflict has darkened our nation. And I know many of you have told me that political conflict has darkened your relationship with your own friends and family. Many of you have lost family members to the virus. Many of you are lonely this year. It has been a dark, dark year. But John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 5, gives us a glimmer of hope in the midst of darkness this Christmas. The light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. And as John writes this verse, he's not naive. He knows the world can be a very dark place. But he also knows that even just the slightest bit of light can drive out the greatest amount of darkness. You know, during World War II, I've used quite a few uh, war stories today. Not normal of me, but during World War II, at the height of the war, the German Air Force was bombing ally cities all over Europe. And in these cities, their government officials would actually require that every citizen, every house after sundown, everyone would have to turn out every single light in their home. No light bulbs could be on, no lamps could be on, no candles could be on, not even a match. Why? Because at night, when the darkness is most profound, even the slightest flicker of a light could give away your position to a bomber overhead, even from miles away. See, this is a great image for you and me at the end of a dark year. The darkness in our lives may be deep, but even the slightest flicker of light can push away the darkness. No matter how deep the darkness becomes in your life, the darkness cannot and it will not put out the light. And here's why Christmas is such an important time for Christians. 
Because the Christmas story, the story of God coming to earth, means that the light is here and light has come. Christ has come, therefore there is a light and that light can shine into the darkness of your life. The light is here. And for some of you, your faith may be so weak right now. You say, oh my gosh, my faith, I feel like I've got nothing left. And the light of Christ feels like nothing more than the flicker of a match off in the distance in your life. But what you need to know that is that the light is still there and the darkness cannot overcome it. And I think as John wrote this, I mean, there's no way he wasn't thinking of this. But as John wrote this, I know he was re reflecting back on the night of Jesus' crucifixion and the days that followed. I mean, when you talk about, when John talks about darkness, I imagine that the darkest moment of his life was that night after they buried his best friend, Jesus. And in that moment, you know, John felt like darkness had won, that darkness had overtaken the light, it had overtaken the life of Jesus. But three days later, Jesus defeated death, rose from the grave, and John, he ran there as soon as he found out that the grave was empty. He ran to the tomb. He stared into that empty tomb. And later that day, he looked into the eyes of the resurrected Jesus. And in that moment, he learned a lesson that he never forgot. And he's teaching it to us today. And that is that darkness can never overcome the light of Christ. And John tells us today that light shines in the darkness. And the theology of John chapter 1, 1 through 5 means that you are not alone. You are not abandoned to the darkness even when the darkness around you is deep. You are no longer on your own to struggle with the challenges of this broken world. If your family today is hanging together by a thread, if your faith today is hanging together by a thread, what I want you to know this afternoon is that the light of Christ can shine light and life into any darkness. And now the light of Jesus shines into darkness, but the question for us is, will we enjoy the light that he brings? You know, you can keep yourself from the light. You can't stop the light of Christ from shining. He's going to shine. John uses uh, in this verse the present tense. He shines in the darkness. You can't stop the light of Christ from shining, but you can keep yourself from the light. You can try to cover up the light. You can hide from it. You know, when I was in college, I had roommates. So, I, you know, as I said, I ran track and so I was always waking up early. And I had roommates who they like to stay up all night and do all, you know, college kid things. And so I would often, they would be in the living room of our apartment and the light would be on, the, the music would be on, all that stuff. And I would be in my room trying to sleep and the light was coming from under the door and I just, I just want to sleep. So what would I do? I would take t-shirts or a towel and I would plug the bottom of the door. You guys ever done this? And I would pull the drape so that no light from outside could get inside. And I would cover up the darkness and block out the darkness so that none of the light could enter into my space. And if that didn't work, I would hide myself from the light. If I couldn't keep the light from coming into my room, I would hide myself. And you know how to do that? You pull the comforter over your head and you put the pillow over your face and you're like, I'm just trying to hide myself from the light. And those are good tactics to, to use when you're trying to sleep. But I fear that many of us 
We love the darkness, spiritually speaking. The scriptures say that many men will love the darkness and hate the light. And many of us, we try to cover up the light that Jesus wants to shine into our lives. Many of us are afraid of the light of Jesus because we're afraid that if Jesus shines a light on us, we might be exposed for who we feel we really are. And so we hide from him and we try to extinguish the light. And the light may expose some hidden things in your heart. That's often what God does. God is a purifying light. He's the kind of light that shines in the darkness, exposes what is messy, but gives life to that which is there. And you must trust that the light of Jesus brings life. It does not bring death. It's nothing to be afraid of. It is something to welcome. And there are others of you who you're sick of the dark. You're like, I'm so tired of the darkness of this year, and I just need some light. There's this passage in the book of Romans that says that we each have been given a measure of faith. And some of you in this room, you have the gift of faith. Like you can believe God for the biggest things in the most dire circumstances. Some of you, if you're anything like me, there are times in your life though where your faith just feels so weak. It feels like you've got barely any faith. But the Bible teaches is that it's not the strength of our faith that gives us light. It's not. The strength of your faith is not what's gonna give light into your life. The object of your faith is that which gives light into your life. And the strength of your faith, you have big strong faith, it might be like Jesus is shining a big spotlight into your life. Maybe you're like me and you you have weak faith this year. But just even the weakest faith, if the faith is in Jesus, It's in a light that cannot be extinguished. And so even if the light is just a small flicker of a match, darkness cannot overcome that. And so whatever measure of faith you have today, would you just give that to God and ask him to shine the light of Christ into your life, to give you hope, to give you joy, to give you some peace right now in the midst of the chaos. Don't hide from the light. Don't try to cover it up. But with whatever measure of faith you can muster, would you give that to God and ask him to shine something good into your soul today? You see, this is why we celebrate communion every week. If you came in here this afternoon, you grabbed one of these little communion cups. If you're watching with us online, you have, maybe you have some bread or some juice in your pantry. But we celebrate communion every week as an act of exercising our faith. We exercise our faith not with the strength we can muster it, but we exercise our faith by celebrating the object of our faith. And the object of our faith is Christ, who poured out his blood so that we could be cleansed from our sin, and Christ, whose body was broken so that we could be made whole again. And so today, I'm going to ask our worship team, they're going to come back up, and they're going to play for us, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and they're going to say, Life and light to all he brings in that song. And as we sing, would you reflect on what Christ has done for you? Not only did he come into the world on Christmas Day, but he was crucified for you and he rose on the third day. And that means that he can cleanse your sins and he can give you new life. And so church, when you're ready, take the bread and the cup. I'm gonna pray for you before we do that. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the life and the light that you give to our lives. And God, we, it's been a dark year. 
And God, we're asking, even if it's just the smallest flicker of a flame, would you give us hope today that your light still shines and that darkness cannot overcome it? God, would you give us faith to believe that and to see that and to experience that light and that life? And it's here that we pray. Amen.